The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. Alrighty, go ahead and start. Thank you guys for coming, being here. My name is Tim Devane. My wife and I work in Minneapolis with Campus Outreach. Um, do mostly mobilization stuff there, and uh, yeah, really happy to be able to share with you guys a little bit. Um, I want to start with just sharing a few statistics about our world. Um, this year, while um, most of us don't really have probably any sort of significant concern over some of these statistics um, because of the insulation that living in America can bring, uh, three million people are going to die from preventable diseases that you or I would just go and get a shot for or spend a couple hours at a doctor and be taken care of. 760,000 children will die of diarrhea. So I'm guessing most of us in this room have had diarrhea before in some capacity, but I'm guessing that as unpleasant as it can be, none of us have been feeling like, oh my gosh, like I, I might die from this. Um, maybe you've been feeling like that, but none of us have probably had that real concern. Um, there's, and, and that, again, is, is children. So there, right now, in 2019, at 40 million, there's more people enslaved than at any other time in the history of the world. Okay? And while there are all these pressing needs in the world, um, $99 billion this year. So think about, think about what, in, in the midst of this broken world, how, how much good could come from $99 billion. Instead, $99 billion, we profited from, what's up? Yeah. Um, $99 billion, we profited from the sex trafficking industry. So um, rather than all of the, those resources being used for good and to, to bring about hope and healing, It'll be profited off the exploitation of, in, in many cases, you know, five, ten-year-old girls being raped repeatedly throughout the world. That's, that's really hard to think about and obviously um, sad to, to consider, but I think it's important, especially in light of the fact that we are so, like I said, insulated in the comforts of America, that, that most of those things we don't really have to give much thought to. Mo most of those statistics, we might hear different things about homelessness and starvation and challenges, AIDS, things like that in our world. And yet, for most of us, we can probably spend our whole lives not really giving much thought to those things. And, and those are physical needs. And then we kind of have, as Christians, another layer of, of brokenness in the world being spiritual needs. So right now in India, they estimate that there's 460,000 villages with no gospel witness. So 460,000, not people, but villages of varying sizes where there's no gospel witness. Um, Forty-two percent of our world is classified as what's called unreached, which means that they will most likely live and die without any opportunity to um, meet a Christian or hear the gospel. Forty-two percent. Again, not a few people in some tribe somewhere, but we're talking about billions of people who are going to live and die without ever hearing the gospel. As it stands right now, um, in the Muslim world, there's currently one missionary for every 405,000 Muslims. Okay, so consider if, if 
we picked one of you and sent you to some city somewhere, and you are the only person among 405,000 Muslims. Where would you start and what would that look like? Obviously, that would be quite a task. So this, these are just a, a few little snapshots of kind of the, one, the brokenness of our world and, and how I think all of us can agree that it is far from what our God created it to be. It's, it's not where, um, where he desires it to be and where he's, he's moving toward in, in redemption. So what I hope for today is that we'll come away seeing that while these are significant tragedies and, and should break our heart and should move us to action, at the same time, what is just as tragic, I think, is for us as believers to know of the brokenness of the, this world and the, the hopelessness that so many live in, hopeless, hopelessness on this side of heaven and on that side of heaven, and, and for us to give into our culture's temptation to just prioritize our lives, or, or prioritize our, ourselves and our comforts and, and our desires. So thinking about how we should spend our life and career and time and resources primarily around what is going to bring us joy and success and all that kind of stuff. I, I hope that we can see that that we should grieve that re that that is a reality in the American church just as much as we should grieve children being trafficked around around the world. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, um, and then we'll kind of dive in. Lord, we know that you, when, when we hear statistics like these, I'm sure all of us to, in varying ways are, are saddened and heartbroken, and yet, Lord, we know that you in a much more significant way. You know, you know the way that you have created these people to be in your image and honor you with their lives, and yet so many people are, are not by choice. Others are, are not because they haven't even had the opportunity to hear about the hope that is in, in, in life with you. And so, God, we ask now that just in these few minutes together in this conference and, and beyond, you would help all of us to make significant decisions, to not give in to the cultural temptations to live for ourselves and prioritize our comfort and our wealth and our ease of life, and, and yet look to you who, though you were rich, you became poor so that those who didn't have access to wealth and privilege and power might become rich and have access to you. So help us to, to do the same with our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. So I have three points. Um, well, to start, I'll, I'll just say a word about the, the title, The Great Omission. So obviously, or many of us are probably familiar with The Great Commission. So Jesus, some of his final words with his disciples were to lead them with a charge to go and make disciples in Matthew 28. Um, go and make disciples of all nations. Okay, so, so Jesus closed his time on earth with a charge to his people to go and and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey and bapti be baptized, obey all he's commanded. Um, what I fear is that in our culture where we have, even though some of us probably aren't even conscious of, conscious of it, we are just programmed to prioritize self, money, comfort, ease of life. And so I fear that we have found a way in, in the American church to basically create a, a way of, of what we call following Jesus that's not found in scripture, but is just is reflective of our culture's values around us. And so um, 
the great omission, I, I fear, is that we have found a way to, even though the context of Scripture is God inviting people, salvation is not just this, this prayer we pray and then we go on with our life, but it's an invitation being drawn into God's global purpose that he's at work in. And, and there's work to be done here in Indianapolis and in Minneapolis where I'm from and, and in many places or, or all over the world until the day comes when his, the earth will be filled with his glory and that's what's coming. Um, but again, I, I, I want to show you guys that while uh, there might be some pastors that we like to listen to or something that, that talk about missions and talk about things like you know, we hear, we read the Great Commission maybe in isolation at points. What, what I want us to see is that the whole context of history, the whole context of the Bible is pointing to one event and one mission that, that God is on. And to live in isolation from that mission is to live in disobedience to God, even if most of the people around us do that. And it, so it feels normal. So that's kind of a little idea there. The three points are, one, God is on a mission. So... God has a purpose in mind for the world, and that purpose has been the same from the beginning of the world in Genesis all the way until Revelation when the new kingdom will be um, brought down. So, um, two, God's people are commissioned. So, to again, to, to walk with God means to be where God is and, and be participating in what God is doing. There, there isn't a way biblically to follow God and walk with him, but have your life be in isolation from his global priorities and, and what he is doing in, in your city and in the world. Um, and third, I just want to talk a little bit about the commissioned life then. So what, what does it mean to live as a commissioned disciple of Jesus? So um, I have a, a wonderful little, um, some artwork up here. I've been working on this for months and months, so I hope you appreciate it. Um, what I want to illustrate to start is that the whole context, like I said, of history is one story of God pursuing and redeeming a people to walk with him, know him, be, his, be their God, and, and have them be his people. So anywhere you are in scripture, if, you're, if you find yourself in the Old Testament, the New Testament, if you find yourself here in our kind of post-New Testament life, what I want you to see that at all the way through, it's not, it's not just this collection of God was doing different things at different times, but it's all toward one end of a great feast with, with God and his, his um, bride, his people, which is us. So back in the beginning in Genesis, th this right here is a timeline of the history of the world, um, condensed a little bit. So back at the beginning in Genesis, God created the world, and he created his people to be in his image, to walk with him, him to know him. And obviously, which Mac talked about with the, the fall took place, and, and humanity chose to pursue being their own gods and, and um, not trusting that what God had was, um, had was best for them. And, and then we continue on to, to Genesis 11, a few chapters later, that's the first time we see nations created through the Tower of Babel. The, the nations are, are scattered. God confuses their languages and scatters them through all, all the earth. It's an interesting story. You should, should read it. So um, next chapter, Genesis 12, not long later, um, all of a sudden we see the pursuit of those nations. So nations are established and scattered for the first time in Genesis 11. And then in Genesis 12, immediately after, with the beginning, Genesis uh, 12, 1 through 3, God calls Abraham. And Abram and says, 
I am going to make you into a, a, a people of, of my own possession. You will be um, gathered. Your inheritance will be more than the sand of the um, sea and the stars of the earth, or stars of the sky. Um, I'm de definitely misquoting that, um, but you should read it. And uh, so then Genesis 12 begins kind of this long, um, all the way up to the, to the New Testament, all of the Old Testament, continuing the, the first, first five books, um, Genesis, Ex Exodus, Leviticus, New Numbers, Deuteronomy, is, is God walking with his people, them, him making a covenant to, please, I want to be your husband, I want to walk with you in faithfulness, and them continuing to, some of the leaders following him faithlessly, but, but continue to press on, but throughout the whole um, Old Testament, it's a story of God's people abandoning God, turning to comfort and ease, being drawn into, just like we are today, even though it was maybe a little more primitive in the way it looked, they're being drawn into the culture around them and, and saying, gosh, the, the nations around us have such an easier life. They don't have to do all these things God is requiring. Um, and so the, the whole story of the Old Testament, all the way through, continuing into the, the prophets, the major and minor prophets, God is continuing to be faithful to his people and walk with them and call them to, to know him and, and, and listen to him and, and trust that I'm bringing you to a, a promised land where there will be hope. And they are continually, continually all on the way, um, faithless and not trusting God, but he's, he's faithful. He's made a, a covenant all the way back to Genesis 12 with Abram. Then um, we see a glimmer of hope. Jeremiah 31, we see... Um, he, he promises a new covenant is coming. He says there's going to be a day when, and, and this is important because this is for us to see that, that God is presently on a mission. God is presently pursuing a people for his own possession, made of every tribe, nation, and tongue. But that's not going to be forever. In, in Jeremiah 33, he says, you're not going to have to be telling others about me because there's coming a day when my new covenant that I'm going to make and fulfill through Jesus is We'll be together in paradise. We will, we will, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your husband. You will be my bride. So the day is coming. Um, John Piper famously has a quote that says, missions exist because worship doesn't. And, and so right now, the season that we are in, God is primarily pursuing a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. But the day is coming when that, that bride will be pursued and gathered, drawn up into the new heavens and the new earth, and God will be in a totally, it'll be a, a different season of God's purpose. Um, so that we kind of see that, that new covenant promised in Jeremiah. Um, then all of a sudden, here we are. Jesus begins the, his ministry in, in the Gospels. And the new covenant is, is fulfilled in, in Jesus. So he, um, finally, we have a way to access God and, and find hope in him and walk with him and be... Um, in relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. So that is through the, he begins his ministry then. And Acts 1 is, is something really interesting. You know, Luke wrote Acts 1, or, or Luke wrote Luke and Acts. And in Acts 1, he says, now to Theophilus, who he wrote it to, he says, now I began, or in, in the Gospel of Luke, I, I, I told you what how Jesus began his ministry, what he began to do. But now that he has been, uh, drawn into heaven, he's continuing to work. So, Jesus, even though the, the Gospels happened and Jesus is not with us in body right now, this is the period in which, in which we live. So here, get ready for this. Um, look at that. 
So Jesus has continued to um, draw the nations to himself, and he's, he's right now pursuing that same people. That, that has not changed until we get to the, the place all the way down here in Revelation when the new covenant will be fully fulfilled in Jesus and we will have a, a feast. There will be people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. There will not be, um, it won't be distinguished by whether you're from a certain place or a certain people, how much money you have. It, it, God's people will be, his multi-ethnic bride will be gathered in the new kingdom. So that's where we're headed, but this is where we are right here. So the context I want us to see is that all of history is God doing one thing. And we live right in the middle of that. And I fear that our culture, because we, we again, love comfort and ease, we've found a way to live the, what we call the Christian life that, that's just in isolation from what God, God's total plan and, and God's purpose in history. So I fear that we are, rather than recognizing that in the same way that, you know, Abram and Moses and David, continuing on, Jesus, the apostles, in the same way that God was gathering and pursuing a people for his own possession, um, right now we're just as much a part of that. We're kind of, we're, we're part of that faithful witness throughout the centuries and we're, we're right here. So to find our lives in, in uh, apart from what God's doing, which, you know, maybe that looks like just getting a good job and, and making money. But of course, I, I know that we're not talking about, the, you're not deciding between participating in this and just living a crazy life of, of sin. But, but I think that we've just found a way where you can kind of attend church and do the bare minimum, live as if we've found uh, the land of milk and honey. Because in so many ways, as, the, as in the broken world we are, we, we have, this is, America is a, about as easy as it gets in certain ways. I, I know that all of us have different brokenness in our lives, um, but if you're in this room, that means that you have been, I mean, you're, you're in the top 1% of the world. So if you would, I, I think it's like $33,000. If you make more than that, you're in the top 1% of the world. I imagine that everyone in this room would, if I, I think all of us would probably be fairly disappointed if I said, you will never make more than $33,000 for the rest of your life. I think we probably are all aspiring to, to beyond, live beyond those, those type of means. And, and, and that, that's just, we, we have to not use our culture and America's wealth and comfort as the litmus test for what it means to, to be happy and content and, and follow God. Because again, this is, um, we're, we're part of a very small minority and we live in isolation from the world's brokenness. brokenness. So, uh, point two, God's people are commissioned. You exist as part of one big mosaic of, of all these, you know, the, this whole story of scripture, all of history is toward this end of God gathering uh, a people for his own possession. And you're, you are smack dab in the middle of it. So again, you, you cannot um, live in isolation from that. Um, we have been explicitly commissioned through the Great Commission, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, John 20, um, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses to in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Um, so Jesus is really clear that um, he, is, he is sending us to various contexts. We're, we're called to live as sent ones. Um, and yet at the same time, we're also implicitly uh, uh, called because 
we, if, if you understand, if you, if you come to faith just through understanding something like John 3.16, which you can, and, and it's good, but it has to be the, the, the launch pad uh, into learning about God and, and his purpose in the world, because it's, if, if it's just praying a prayer and receiving Christ, then, yeah, you can kind of go on and do what you're, what you're doing, but um, if, if you're understanding in the context of the whole Bible, you see that there's just, there isn't a way to, to live apart from that. And, and call yourself a, a biblical Christian. So, um, kind of a, an illustration would be, if right now, the world that we live in, maybe consider if our, our president, Donald Trump, is now going to war with, you know, we, we're going to war with some nation. I, I, I don't know where, but say we'll say India. We, we decided something happens and we're now going to war with India. How strategic would it be for Donald Trump to think, or the commanders, well, I don't know how this stuff works, um, but whoever it is, how strategic would it be for us to say, all right, we are going to send a few people to Pakistan and Sri Lanka and some of the places near India, but we're also, we're going to really beef things up in, in Canada. We're going we're gonna to ba build big bases. We're going to establish a, a big military presence. It's like, unless we're missing something, that probably wouldn't make a ton of sense. If you're not great at geography, Canada is totally on the other side of the world from India, so that would not make a ton of sense, okay? And yet, I think that, um, I mean, we, we would probably start to question, is this, uh, is this, do these gen generals or commanders know what they're talking about? That's, right now, as Christians, we've been kind of enlisted into an army of sorts, into a, a war in which we are, the God is on a rescue mission to set the captives free and be a light to the nations and to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to, to bring healing to the nations and make himself known. And we have a, a, a mass of resources, um, I, I guess would it be uh, soldiers, you know, Christians, here in the West where the vast majority of our of the comfort and wealth and access and, and the least need is, there's significant need for um, things to, for us to labor here in, in the United States. And yet, at the same time, the, the vast majority of the need is outside of America. And so, um, it, either God has, you know, messed up and he kind of, it's like, he made a mistake and he piled us all here and, he, you know, we kind of operate as if, I, I would, many of us would probably be willing to move to India if God said to you tomorrow audibly, you know, hey, you need to move to India tomorrow. I, don't, I think most of us would be in agreement there. But what, what I think we see in, in the scope of Scripture is that this is not an issue of God forgetting to command his people to, to go to the ends of the earth. It's a, an issue of us being disobedient. And, and again, throughout, if, if you read the whole context of Scripture, it's one story of over and over. God is, is calling his people to do difficult things, but trust them in it. And repeatedly, they are just wanting to, to find the easy way out and live in comfort at, at any um, cost to themselves. So, um, one, of the, one of the Bible's litmus tests, I think, for knowing God and walking with him, 1 John 2.6 says, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so, for I, I think that's just an important. Our again, our culture has created ways to identify as a Christian, where it 
is maybe you attend a New Year's conference or, you know, have prayed certain prayers or have grown up with Christian families, you know, all, all sorts of different things. And what I would say, scripture, what we see, one of the best ways to know if you are walking with God is if you are walking like he did and doing what he did, what, what he is doing. So the idea of being a Christian but not have, being actively participating in, in the main thing that God is, is currently a part of, it just, it's, I, I think we're, we've gone amiss a little bit. He, John 17, I'm going to read a passage, 15 through 21. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, as just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. So Jesus has clearly sent us into the world. Like I said, he is right now, Jesus came, and let's just think a little bit about what Jesus' life looked like. He lived, uh, he, he had access to great comfort and wealth in heaven. And he gave that up for the sake of those without power and privilege and, and access to such things. He came to few things scripture says he came to seek and save the lost um, he became poor that others might become rich he came to set the captives free proclaim good news to the poor Jesus went outside the camp so again he had all of this access and he came to earth condescended to, to us was born in a, a dirty nasty manger we just think about over Christmas he then lived a, a, a persecuted life and died on a much nastier horrific cross was, was tortured. So the idea that, that Jesus in, had power and wealth, gave that up for the sake of others, and lived a, what I, I think we can agree is a pretty um, uncomfortable and painful life, the idea that, that that's what it looks like for him. And then for us, he has most of us living lives of, of comfort and, um, you know, making money and living for that, prioritizing ourselves, you know, of course, doing kind of some of the bare minimum stuff. It's just, I think we're, we, we're finding a, I, I, I think we have a disconnect as to, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure we can say that whoever abides in him ought to wa walk in the same way he walked. I'm not sure if that is, is being reflected in the, the culture we live in. So um, what does that mean for us? I, I'm not here just to, to bash and say, I think, um, there, there are areas that we have as Christians succumb to cultural temptations, and yet I, I don't want anyone to do any, you know, the things we're talking about um, participating in God's, in God's global mission is, is not something we should do from a posture of guilt or um, just because, even because we're sad to hear about some of those statistics, I think the, the invitation is one to participate in what God is doing in the world and to, to walk hand in hand with, with our Father as he brings redemption and hope. So um, I want to talk about two implications of a commissioned life and then apply it in two, two ways for us to think about. So the first implication of life as a sent one, that passage in, in John 17, the scope of scripture, is that um, your life 
your time, your resources are not your own. You are now purchased and, and in the, the service of God, whatever that looks like. There, there isn't a way to follow Jesus without being fully purchased and, and he, his, his, your life is his. So 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then Colossians 3 puts it another way. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the... the the essence of these passages is that we are not to live for the, the, the love of comfort doesn't con- control us, the love of family, the love of America, um, but the love of Christ controls us. And, and we no longer live for ourselves, but for, for Jesus. And then again, in the Colossians passage, it's saying that, that you have died, your life is hidden with Christ and God. Part of the, the challenge is we continually, Mac talked about this this morning, just like he was talking about how Peter was, was looking not to unseen things, but, but focusing on the seen world. And I think that's our, our temptation. It's easy for us to think of our life as, Lord willing, most of us will probably live another 60, 70 years in this room. Um, and it, it's easy to think of those 60 or 70 years as what your life is. But, but what this is teaching is that that's not your life. Your life is being held and preserved right now by Jesus in heaven. And your life will begin when either Jesus returns, which hopefully could happen any day now, or else just as likely, you know, in 70 years when, when our time on earth expires. And so all of a sudden, this should be a paradigm shifter for us where I, I no longer have to worry about pursuing um, my comfort, my joy. All of my needs are met in Jesus, and my, my life will... Uh, I, I basically have 70 years to kill until my life starts, you know? Like, I... I do not have to spend the next 70 years knocking out my bucket list and getting in everything that I can on earth and experiencing, experiencing it, it all because I have the best meals, the best vacations, the best careers, the best, all those things, I have much better coming from me, for me in, in the new kingdom. And so right now, in light of the fact that I live around all of these people that are, are lost and without hope in the world, I, I don't have to spend the, the, my short time on earth pursuing my joy, but, but I can, like my Savior, become, even though I have access, I can become poor so that others might become rich in Christ. And that's, that's, that's the call of the Christian life. And so we should be determining, you know, your school probably has a career counseling office and all that, and, and what if you go and set up a meeting with them, I'm sure they're going to have some helpful things, but they're coming from the lens of how are you going to... Um, best advance yourself and make it in this world and and what Jesus is calling us to do he's saying no you should determine your um, career major what neighborhood or nation you live in the the people you spend your time with not based on on yourself and your needs I've already taken care of those needs but you should you should base base these things on how you can participate me with participate with me in in gathering and redeeming and bringing hope and healing to to the nations. So um, that's implication number one of of life as a commissioned Christian, is that 
Um, our, our time, life, resources, they're not our own. They're owned by someone else. But that someone, Jesus, has something much better in mind for us than, than we could have dreamed or imagined. And so our, our, we, can, we can now live in, servant, uh, in, in, in servitude to him and participate with him in, in the ways that we, you know, however he would like that to be. A friend of mine is a, a doctor in a, a place in, in East Africa and faces a lot of death threats and has a very difficult life because of it. He, he was a very successful doctor in Minneapolis, where we're from. Um, and our culture wants to use things like Enneagram and, you know, Strength Finder and, again, career counselors, all that kind of stuff, which I'm not knocking. I saw, you know, I'm not knocking any of those things, but I'm just saying our culture wants to use those things to help you determine how you should spend your life and find the, the career that perfectly fits you and that makes sense in light of your um, gifting, wiring, all that kind of stuff. And I am not saying that you should just disregard any of those things, but what I am saying is that the land of milk and honey where your gifts and your wiring and all that is going to be sanctified and perfected is coming and we're not going to find it here. And so the, the hope of finding the, you know, I, I tell you right now, my friend was not, it's not like he was perfectly wired to be a doctor in this uh, difficult location, you know. You could say that he, his gifts and all that, it would make sense for him to, to be living in Minneapolis and he would probably give money away and different things like that. Um, but what he recognized and what we have to recognize is that our, um, you know, we, we should consider our gifts and consider, get counsel and encouragement and all that, but, but there, there has to be this sense in which the needs of the world and, and God's heart for what he's doing has to be um, a trump card over the, the various things our culture might use to help us determine what we should, how we should spend our lives. Um, so there's a... I, I don't have time to go into detail, but it's a really interesting story. I would encourage you to read. I think it's number 32, um, and I think it's Gad and Reuben. The, basically, at this time, God is walking with the, the Israelites and, and promising them the land of milk and honey that's coming. And Gad and Reuben are a couple of guys, and their families have their keepers of sheep, and they've got loads of sheep. And it's on their way to through different battles and challenges to the promised land. They are walking, and all of a sudden they see this this area that they're like, oh wow, that would be perfect for some serious sheep raising. And so they come to, to Moses and they're saying, hey, tell you what, what if you guys go on and we raise our sheep here? You guys go to the promised land, do, do your thing, we're going to raise our sheep here. And, and Moses responds and rebukes them and says, so you would have us go, I mean, one, they're just being selfish because he's saying, so you want us to all go to war and you just kick it here with your sheep. Um, but two, are you not trusting that, or are you forgetting that God has promised something much better than, than this little pasture you see that looks kind of nice right now? And I, I think that's like a, a really helpful parable for America and, and the American church, where we are tempted, I think, to, to treat, um, you know, no one here thinks America is perfect. I, I hope not. Um, but it's, it's not bad in a lot of ways. It's, it's, we could do good living for the next seven years, and whether it's ma keeping sheep or getting, you know, working in marketing or math or whatever it might be, like you could kick it for the next 70 years here and probably have a pretty comfortable life. But what, what God is, is, what Moses said to them and what I would encourage to, to us is to recognize, one, God has promised us something so much better than this, and so to settle for this 
is, is just is, is not having faith that God is going to provide something better in the new kingdom. But also, it's, it's selfish because while there are, you know, there are people dying and suffering in the world right now, and God is on a rescue mission to help them and to care for them and to, to bind up the brokenhearted. And so for us to want to, you know, again, even if it's just kind of the perfect career fit or whatever it might be, to, to want to live lives for ourselves in a way that, that makes sense if, if, if we are the priority but not if God's mission is the priority, then, then I think we're falling into the same thing and we're missing, um, missing God's, God's heart. So you should go read that passage, that chapter. It's, uh, it's helpful. So um, implication number two is, I kind of bled into this a little bit, you have a specific purpose for your short time on earth, to join God in redeeming the world. So again, even though there are things that you could do that are generally God-honoring with your lives, um, like, for example, you know, just being a math teacher in Indianapolis for the rest of your life, um, that isn't necessarily, that, that might be what God has for you. And I'm, I'm not saying that all of us need to leave America or, um, or do full-time ministry or anything like that. But what I'm saying is the driving force of our lives, the reason we become a math teacher in Indianapolis is not because that's where our family is from and, that, and they, we speak the language and we know the culture. It's not because, you know, that's where there's just a job in front of us. But it's because we have, through prayer and fasting and counsel, sought the Lord and he's made it clear that the best global contribution I can make is being a math teacher here in, in Indianapolis. And we need people to do that. But we also are, we, we need people to, to do that because they've reached that conclusion in light of obedience and submission to God, not because of, like I said, the, it's the culture or family or whatever. That's what our parents want us to do. So you have a, you're here for a reason. So your, your life and time and gifts are not your own, but they're someone else's. So then how should we live and what, what does that mean? You, you're, you exist to participate in God's global eternal story of um, gathering and pursuing the, the, the nations. Um, again, some nations gathered here and some nations scattered ab abroad. So a couple of applications for that, uh, as we think about it, would be, um, one, you should spend time thinking and praying, um, repenting as, as needed. Uh, how, you know, is the major that you have currently selected, is, is your current vision for your life, is it primarily dictated by where your family is, where comfort is, where the most academic success is or, or financial success from your perspective, um, consider, what, yeah, where you need to repent and what areas of your life have been um, not in step with what God's doing in the world, and, and in a fresh way, offer yourself to God as, as a living sacrifice, okay? So in, in Romans 12, Paul talks about how we're supposed to, to live as living sacrifices to God, and he's kind of referencing back to, in, in Leviticus, what um, when, when God is establishing the sacrificial system, they would have to, it's not like I had like a hundred goats and God, I needed to sacrifice a goat to God. I could just go get the scrawny guy, who, you know, scrawny goat and three legs or something like that and I don't really have any use for and I can sacrifice him to God. It's like, no, we were supposed to give our, our very best to, to God. And Paul picks up on this theme again in Romans 12 where he's saying you, living life as a, uh, living your life as a living sacrifice to God should, should be reflective of the fact that that God is getting the very best of your gifts and talents and resources. So that's where this, this cultural notion of 
being able to kind of pursue a career and family and all that kind of stuff, but give God an hour or two on Sundays and maybe you're part of a small group or something like that, um, but live for 40, 50 years and not really um, dive deeply into intimacy with God and his word, into making disciples. Um, that's, not, that's, that w- that's the kind of living sacrifice that would not be accepted in, in God's sacrificial system and, and is at odds with what God's called to us to now. So, um, yeah, repent, pray, consider how, ask God, how can I best be used? Something we sometimes talk about is, you know, are you coming to God with a, a blank slate or a coloring book? Where a coloring book kind of has lines drawn in and, and I, you know, it's kind of like, God, I will let you do anything with my life. As long as it's within, you know, I'm busy on Tuesday nights and I don't want to move more than 50 miles from my family and I want to have three kids and, you know, on and on and on. I have to, I have to make at least $80,000 a year and, you know, various sorts of things. That's, that's kind of the coloring book where it's like, you're, God, I'm open, but you've got to work in these small slots I'm giving you. Or are you coming to God with a, a blank canvas in which you say, God, my life is yours. I, you purchased me. You own me. You determine what I do, how I do it, where I live, all that kind of stuff. So that's one. Number two, consider where can you most strategically live for the sake of of the gospel going forth. So primary to God's call in our lives is is obedience. Secondary is geography. But geography does matter because we live in a broken world in which, like I said, we have a ton of resources and comfort and opportunity people piled up here in America. And there are places, for example, um, it's like Southeast Asia, the Middle East, North Africa, where there are hardly any believers. And so geography, again, is it's not something where God will, we're doing this because God will love you more if you move to a different place. But we're, we're saying, God, I want to, be a part of what you're doing, and, and right now the, the most work is outside of America. So most of us, I, all of us, I'll say, need to really consider going outside of America. Again, I'm not saying everyone is supposed to, to go, but I think that all of us need to say, Lord, you know, have, re- have really good reasons not to go, and have, have be, be, stay in wherever you're from because you're convinced, and have it through prayer and fasting, and counsel in your life are, are sure that in this season of your life, the best way you can serve is to be a part of what God's doing here in this context. But I, I think all of us need to pray about, about coming to God with open hands and saying, Lord, you purchased me, you own me, part of owning me is you get to determine where I go. And so if there are needs in the world, in places, in countries I can't pronounce or don't know where they are or would never want to live, but that's um, where I can best join you in what you're doing, then I've got 70 years to kill and so I, I you can you owe me. You get to do that. So, so these are a couple of, I guess, the, the applications. It's ask God, how can I best serve you, and where can I best serve you? And it doesn't mean it's a forever thing. It might be a seasonal thing, but at least right now, and uh, come to him with, with open hands. I want to close with um, a couple of a story, or, or one, one story, and then um, uh, kind of an illustration. So, there was a, a man named John Patton in the 1800s. He was a pastor in Edinburgh, Scotland. And while he was there, he had an opportunity to pastor the biggest church in Edinburgh. It was something he'd been working for a while, and this was a great honor. They needed to replace the pastor. Well, he 
considered this opportunity and was interested and was going to pursue it because it's, you know, obviously it was a great, great opportunity. But then he learned about this unreached, unengaged, cannibalistic tribe in the South Seas where the gospel had never gone. And he decided that he needed to, to go to those people and give up that opportunity. And I think it's a powerful story because most of the people in his life are, they responded to him not by saying, oh, cool, John, that'll be so great. They said, you're foolish. God is clearly offering to use you here. He, he wasn't trying to decide between kicking it on the golf course for the rest of his life in Scotland and going doing something hard for Jesus. He was trying to decide between what well, seems like one really good God-glorifying God option and another. And his response was, if I leave today and go move to this island, then tomorrow there will be 50 job applications in that box to replace that pastoral role. But no one is putting an application to go to, to this people. And, and that's what I want to challenge you guys with, is that what can you do with your life that others, in light of the fact that you have 70 years to kill, your life is not your own, you, you no longer have to live for yourself, but, but can now live for him. What can you do that others aren't willing to do? There are, this isn't something where, you know, again, I know similarly, there, there are a lot of good opportunities here in America and a lot of needed opportunities. And, and we should really pray about and consider those as well. But I want to right now be a voice for the two billion people that right now are going to live and die and never hear the gospel. And I'm guessing there's not a lot of voices for them in your life. Most of the voices around you, for better or, and for worse, through advertising and marketing and things like that, are calling you to comfort here. And then even in, in good ways, there's just you're going to learn about and know about opportunities here in America because that's what most people around you are doing, and that's kind of the... the trajectory that those around you are are heading toward and so I want you to just I want to challenge you to just pray about that and consider might you be able to go somewhere and do something that it might not be the perfect fit I'm not saying like if you're horrible at math you should go teach math in China or something like that but it might not be the perfect fit for how you're wired and made but can you invest your life and, and live in obedience to Jesus and go and, and do that and trust that he has a, a better, a better country coming for you in the, in the new kingdom. So, um, there's there's a, a village that myself and my friend Henrik here and a few others uh, visited in um, northern Thailand uh, about a year, a couple years ago now. And um, just kind of to give you one illustration, there when we were there, there's basically a a people that there, this is a place where the gospel has never gone before. It's going to be a really difficult place for someone to go and move to. We had scorpions walking under our dinner table, and one night we had a, a bug infestation where we were just, it was, yeah, I, I won't get sidetracked there, but it's, it's going to be challenging um, to, to live there. And yet, there is people there right now that for, just have had a few interactions with us and a few other believers and are asking for someone to come and teach them the Bible. They're saying, you know, can, we, we want to know about this God. How can we we learn more. And if I told you that 50 miles from wherever you live right now, there is a village where the gospel's never gone, and like there's people asking to hear about Jesus, then I would think that most of us we'd probably get in a car and go and you know do it or or you know come up with a plan or be a want to be a part of that. It's like no, no brainer. 
But when it comes to all the opportunities like, like this one, and this is one of many villages, like I said, in the 460,000 villages in India, for example, um, there's, there's an ocean between us. There's, again, we're talking about, you know, brushing our teeth with dirty water and having scorpions and eating weird food to us and all that kind of stuff. Um, all of a sudden, it's just, many of us probably wouldn't even consider some of those kinds of things. And so I just want to close and say, would you consider being a part of taking the gospel to a place like that um, or to, to one of many others and, and be willing to just to, to live in light of what you believe or what, what scripture teaches that your life is not your own. Someone else owns it and you don't have to get in everything you can on this side of heaven. So um, I've got a couple of books I want to highlight and just give away um, that I find really helpful along just kind of this, this one, it's just a short little Bible study. I think it's eight weeks. Um, you can get it on Amazon for like five bucks or six bucks if you don't get this copy. But it's just kind of exposing you to, it walks through the story of scripture uh, and, and God's desire and heart for the world. Just so that you can just help deepen your understanding of um, God's whole purpose. So I'd love to give that away. And then this is a, a newer book. This guy named David Platt, if anyone gets familiar with. Um, and this is uh, along kind of the lines of this talk in certain ways. It's basically uh, a call for you to consider investing your life in something greater than yourself um, and be willing to, to live a sacrificial life to be a part of what Jesus is doing. Um, who wants these? All right. Your hand went up first. I don't need for coming. Um, I'm going to say well, I, I think we're getting close on time, but I will just close in prayer. I'll chill here if you want to talk or push back or ask questions, um, but I'll just go ahead and close in, in prayer. Lord, we just we come to you and we ask that you would help us to live with open hands and open arms to come to you and, and offer our lives as, as living sacrifices. Kill any part of our flesh that would desire to prioritize our comfort and our needs in, in the face of brokenness and hurt in our world, Lord. Help us to be so open-handed and so captivated by you and, and all you've done to make yourself known and, and treasure. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.